1: Time to tune in.
0: Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Mesh Nikolic, and my guest today is Professor Alex Holcomb. He talks with me today about the erosion of trust in science, the replication crisis, and its causes. I must say that this conversation is one of my favorite to date on my podcast because it really explores some of the challenges that we're facing in science at the moment moving from good quality scientific method through to the different challenges that it's faced and why not all research is valid or reputable and how this has come about. An exciting conversation for me and a a very eye-opening conversation. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I have because it was one of my favorite to date. So enjoy. (laughs) Alex a big thank you for coming on to the program today.
1: Oh thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited to get my teeth into into our topic because it's something that uh, I think is is certainly important for me but I think it's prevalent these days and in, in today's climate and and in some sense for everybody you know looking at uh, science and, and I suppose trust in science and even the you know replication crisis that that um I'd love to, you know, hear hear more about, and and it's lovely to be able to, you know, chew the fat and talk about some of these, you know, difficult difficult sort of, I think, ideas, and 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 try and understand how they've maybe come about, and and what we should be kind of looking at, and, and what to do. Because my training as a as a you know scientist practitioner um, uh, says one thing, but I think the practice of that is 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 a completely different thing, and and um, even the way I read. Uh, journals and the like um, I think uh, and I'll obviously talk about this in a bit more depth but I think it can be questioned because um, uh, it's quite quite fascinating and it'd be lovely to hear you know your thoughts on on how you think others might you know read journals and the like but uh, yeah thanks again for for coming on.
1: I'll be interested real interested to hear your perspective um, because yeah it really differs these issues across different sciences so and the translation problem of going from basic science that we read it in often in the journals to actually practicing it in the in the, in the wide in the wide and wild world that isn't much like uh, the lab that A lot of these studies are done in uh, presents its own problems uh, aside from just and we we have enough problems just with uh, replicating studies within the lab. So you, I think you're in a uh, complicated position uh, trying to. Um, do research uh, based on the best evidence. I mean, do, sorry, do your clinical work based on the best evidence.
0: Yeah, look, it, it, it's certainly um, you know challenging, and and you know there's so many contradictions in this space. But may, maybe we can start with the replication crisis as a as a, as a starting point. Um, you know, talking about that and and um, understanding what some of those difficulties and challenges are.
1: Sure. So. Um, you know, with the beginning of modern science uh goes back to the beginning you know, of the Royal Society, you know, in the UK, in the England, as it was then, um, where you had sort of these gentlemen aristocrats and you know they were uh discovering things on their own, really. Uh they would write letters to each other, and eventually they sort of organized this into Royal Society and, and to, into academies. And there was this verification problem, you know, even then, although there was a very small community, so there perhaps could be more trust uh, than there is now um, among scientists. Uh, they still wanted to have some kind of verification. So um, in the early days of the Royal Society, you know, this is uh, close to 400 years ago, um, they would actually ask uh, these people who claimed they had discovered something, uh, maybe in chemistry, to actually come to the Royal Society in person and demonstrate it. And thus, everybody could see that you know it was real. It, it, it's not just something uh, someone made up in their letter to the Proceedings of the Royal Society, uh, naming perhaps the oldest continuously published uh, scientific journal. Um, so, but you know, as the um, community got much bigger, uh, the Royal Society <laughs> decided they could no longer uh, they were afford to um, have people come in or have people sent out, which they also sometimes did. To check that results uh, were true, or or to try to repeat these these studies, so we ended up with this system where really we're just relying on uh, trust, but it became more questionable how well placed this trust was because uh, you know it's just a far flung uh, re- huge numbers of scientists all around the world that don't have any real connection to each other, but um, so for. <laughs> Uh, quite a few hundred years in a lot of sciences, there was after the Royal Society stopped doing their sort of replication practice, asking people to come and demonstrate their thing. There was a very long period in which there was no systematic replication. Um, it's going to differ a little bit across the sciences, but uh, you know, since we're f- you're fo- focused on psychology, we can say definitely for psychology, uh, there wasn't really anything systematic it started until around two thousand thirteen. If you can believe it so
0: it's interesting that question ha- already.
1: <laughs> yeah that we sort of lulled ourselves into assuming that these results uh, were reliable without really checking on it um and so but then around 2013 2012 a, a few things happened in psychology that um really drew attention to the possibility of this assumption that all our results were uh, likely to be reliable you know w- was um should be questioned. Now, everybody sort of had an understanding that um, we were using statistics with noisy data. If you're studying psychology, you know humans vary a lot. Uh, and so um, you know, it's not that you're going to get the same result with every person. So you have to do statistics. And there evolved this uh, P is less than 0.05 criterion that the idea is that if you compare, let's say, two groups of people or two conditions that people are in, um, you declare that you found a difference, um, presumably caused by the thing you were varying, if the data were uh, only had a 5% or less chance of occurring by chance, that difference between the conditions. So everyone had this basic uh, idea that, yeah, some results wouldn't replicate because built into our statistics, we're doing probability calculations um, rather than uh, being able to control everything in our experiment because we can't because uh, because people are different there's going to be variability. Um, but there was a real naivete about how bad things could be. So uh, there is um, one group that's uh, put out a call saying um, we should ad- address this issue and it was prompted by a couple things. One was this amazing uh, to everybody paper that was published by Daryl Bem in in one, around 2013 in one of the top, Uh, personality and social psychology journals actually so this study uh claimed to basically show that esp was true he had this procedure where he would uh show people on a computer screen um actually the main condition was like erotic pictures um and he was he had i think some galvanic skin response uh equipment electrodes connected up to people's skins and he was interested, he had been interested in PSP for a long time or pre prognostication, or actually, I don't know remote viewing. I don't know the exact term for this particular parapsychological phenomenon. But what he did was um, he arranged it so that he could uh, observe when he would present people random pictures, some of which were erotic pictures. He observed that they had a, a physiological response, according to him, um, specific to the erotic pictures or or more for the erotic pictures than for the other erotic pictures, even just before that erotic picture appeared on the screen, as if the people were viewing the future and and he thought that um, there were unconscious influences from future events that were affecting the person's brain, that this erotic photo was about to be presented, um, and thus that would create a skin uh, emotional response that would cause a change in skin conductance. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, but then he, uh, uh, in this way, he was trained as a scientist, psychologist specifically, actually, he set out to test this and he did nine experiments that he reported in this manuscript that was accepted by the journal. And from what you could tell, almost, uh, for the most part, by reading this manuscript, he did everything right, according to the, the standards of the journal. So, he would, he would do this carefully designed experiment, he would run the statistics and he reported that he found a p-value of less than 0.05. And in you know and he wasn't it wasn't that he was messing with the numbers or making up numbers or it wasn't that his equipment wasn't working right. Um, everything's so that, that wasn't the issue. And if, if you did a sort of naive prob- probability calculation of these results, uh, the quote was that the chance of this being due to statistical flukes was about 74 billion to one. So, um, that so when when people saw this, you know, the vast majority of researchers, uh, you know, didn't believe in uh, parapsychological phenomena like this. So they had to then question uh, if this could get published and have nine experiments seeming to all support this uh apparently false hypothesis you know what else could be in the literature so that's one example and we can talk about uh how you know why he he, he got how he got this evidence that that fooled um that, that would fool most people uh and maybe one way to talk about that is that there was another paper that came out around the same time by joe simmons uh, Uri simonson um, and a third author, I've forgotten. What they did is they did um, computer simulations with this kind of statistics that Daryl Bem did in his study and like everybody was doing. They they weren't doing their statistics specifically about uh, what Daryl Bem had done with his um, parapsychology study. Uh, but what they, they just made a few changes. What they would do is um, they would simulate data where there was really no difference between the conditions. For example, in this ESP kind of study, if really the skin conductance response was no difference between uh, when the erotic pictures were presented when they weren't. Uh, so they would have all these random numbers on in, in their spreadsheets. But then what they looked at is things like, what if um, we do the, th- the statistic checking whether we got a p-value of less than 0.05? What if we do that after every participant that we simulate? So we just keep getting random numbers, and then we run the statistic and see whether we've got a result, whether the p-value is less than 0.05. And so that's one thing that they found would uh, inflate the rate of what we call false positives. You know, if you generate enough random numbers, just due to a fluke, you will get a big difference between the numbers, and that difference will have a p-value associated with it of less than 0.05. So... But they knew that a lot of people in the field do this practice of they will start a study and then they'll collect a few participants for the study. Um, and then they'll look at the data and do run the statistics already. And then if you know it's not statistically significant, they say, oh, yeah, but, well, of course, I'm just starting. I need to collect more data. And then they'll collect more data and they'll do it again. They'll collect more data and they'll do it again. But each time, you know, they're increasing the chance. I mean, they're giving, the, they're giving the, another chance for a fluke. To occur so that was one factor but that's just one of uh three or four practices that were we later found that were also being done by daryl bem which could inflate the rate of these flukes
0: yeah just so i can understand so what you're saying is as the data is being collected uh, statistics are being applied to that and in, in, in essence, kind of being cherry picked that once it meets a certain threshold, if it happens by, by, by fluke, because it's, it's, it's not saying, um, you know, if, if it says N equals 10,000, we're, we're kind of like, we're quite happy because it's not going to happen by fluke, right? Because 10,000 is large enough, but if N yeah. equals 120, um, you could go out and actually have a fluke within 120. That's absolutely inconceivable. And, um, and, and
1: Yeah. So two things you said there. Yeah. Uh, first, yeah, um, 120 is actually a lot by the standards of 2013 for this particular kind of literature. So, in fact, they were uh, people like Daryl Bem and and most people in the social psychology field, for example, were using much smaller samples—20, 30, 40 participants, sometimes less—for which the chance of a a, yeah of a fluke is quite high. Now, so then, and then the cherry pick—you all said, yeah, it's a kind of cherry picking. So there was other kinds of uh, ways to cherry pick that were customary in the field. Um, to a large extent, people didn't realize how m- much this was really picking cherries um, until uh, Simmons and Simonson and others, you know, highlighted this with their computer simulation. So another one, aside from um, doing the statistics after running a few participants, is what we call p hacking. So p hacking is um, the, uh, is where you run lots of different analyses, statistical analyses, and basically cherry pick the ones that are statistically significant. And there's a couple of ways it can happen. Um, you know, as a good scientist, uh, someone might collect lots of data about their participants. Uh, so maybe not. If it was Daryl Bem, maybe he collected information not only from the galvanic, the electric skin response, but also um, maybe some measure of priming like whether the participant had a particularly fast response in their response time, uh, the trial before the erotic photo came up. You want to, if you want to understand what's going on as scientist, you try to observe as many things as possible. So it's natural to collect sure. lots of variables. Uh, but then the danger is that then you've got so many things that you can run a statistical analysis on any, and because this is again uh, noisy data, um, you're going to get variation. Uh, and so, uh yeah if you run your enough different analyses you just keep on increasing the chance of a of yourself finding a fluke um so the analyses can happen the extra analyses can happen by having different outcome measures and you know even in the galvanic skin response thing that daryl bem was running and others um you can analyze that data in many different ways so uh the, the fancier the uh equipment actually that you're using to collect data uh, galvanic skin response eeg fmri uh the more complicated like the the the, the pre-processing pipeline is that we call it, we call it to to turn those uh raw numbers vast amount of raw numbers into to, to collect it into a sort of a smaller thing that uh, more directly assesses what we're trying to direct so there's many different ways to vary that as well and people were Unknowingly, uh, yeah, vastly increasing their chance of false positives due to this, and that's how that's the main way that we think that Daryl Bem was able to show statistically significant evidence for in nine experiments uh, for these unconscious influences from future events.
0: what, what one of the reasons why this uh, is interesting to me, I think I have that personality to be a little bit sceptical, but also because um, p hacking is exactly what uh I did in my thesis uh university. I remember I had no results. Uh you know, nothing was coming back statistically significant um, until I sat down with my um convener at the time uh who was able to you know go through numerous um different statistical analyses until we found one that was favorable. Um and then I had some P results. Yeah, um, and even though that's probably not harmful because you know it's just a, a master's level um, i think it was master or my postgrad whichever one it was um it was neither here nor there it wasn't going to be published but it demonstrated to me that my goodness i i have a i have a statistical result that i can go out and and report on um and clearly if you are very well versed in how to apply these statistical analyses that that you can get, you know, a junk set of uh, data like mine um, and find something, Um, even though the traditional, you know, an over or whatever it is that I was running at the time was producing nothing. Um, Now, hopefully in theory, the theory would be that someone else can read that and say, you're using, you know, uh, blow par, you know, blow standard statistical analysis. But I don't think that's actually... Necessarily occurring, and in there lies the problem of what I was referring to earlier. When I read a journal article, uh, I uh, cannot read the statistical analyses, and because of that, uh, I can't render any level of uh, 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 validity. Um, you know, I've, I've got no confidence as to what what that means, and and um, that is highly problematic because we would like to think. That there are these checks and balances, but my history tells me that that's not necessarily uh, the case. As a matter of fact, that's a huge blind spot to, to, to just believe. And um, I could probably go out and, and do a statistical course, and you know, put in you know, hundred or two hundred hours of, of, of no, but uh, that, that, additional work, but to, to understand. But that wouldn't it. But,
1: that wouldn't solve but, these problems.
0: You know, they no, you, wouldn't they, solve the problem, but individually, it would for me. To I could say. That's garbage. That's actually not producing the power it should, and and so I can kind of take that with a grain of salt because uh, it's too many flaws. Um, but the insidious
1: thing th- about this is even when you do the statistics exactly right, if you're not reporting the other, th- the fact that you that, that that you're just picking the cherries, you know, it doesn't matter point. how good a statistician good you are. That, so that's how this, you know, was able to persist for so long. And you're not—you're so far from being alone. I mean, this is by far, you know, common practice. When I got started, I thought this was, was the right thing to do too. And it is the right thing to look for patterns in the world with in our measurements. That's what mm-hmm. you know—we do as scientists. That's how we discover new things. The problem comes when um, we present that without, you know, revealing bec- uh, that we did many other things. And uh, so thus the. Um, that that elevates the chance that this is a, a fluke.
0: Yeah, good good point. As a matter of fact, you've just blown my mind because that's exactly um, yeah the case. If 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 the if if the um, uh, if it was reported to say it wasn't statistically significant with a seven other um, algorithms or, or you know or, or statistical analyses that we applied, but it was on this one. Uh, then it would be at least more transparent, and 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 maybe that would still be valid. Who knows? Um, but maybe it would actually say no, it's not valid, and and would start to. Uh, well,
1: thank you. You've jumped more, all, more all the way to the solution. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 solution really is um, full transparency, and, and so yeah, that's yeah. what we're going for. But th- there's a number of obstacles to getting to that. Yeah, one is, um I mean yeah the, uh, so few of us i mean almost nobody realized you know that that this was such a problem to um because uh, there's also that that the, well i mean statisticians have uh, for a very long time said you know if you torture the data long enough it, it'll you know plead guilty <laughs> to anything um but that you know that wasn't appreciated by by working scientists so uh there's there's that issue and then the you know the system is geared towards um orienting towards like exciting results so because the journal editors also didn't realize that uh this is such an issue that that the rate of false positives could be so high as a result of these sorts of practices you know they would they routinely would tell authors who were doing would do the if they did the right thing by saying okay well we did you know eight different analyses and this one is statistically significant. They'll say, "Oh, well, those other ones, then, you know, they're not, you know, of interest." So just, you know, and you know, I've got a journal. I'm trying to pack in as many articles in this journal as I can. This is in the print days where, where all these pra- <laughs> these things really uh, develop. So just draw, you know, I, can you drop like 300 words from your manuscript by uh, deleting uh, mention of those other analyses you did? Uh, so yeah, the a few different factors in the system were conspiring to this lack of transparency about how things were getting discovered so that's what a lot of the science reform movement has been about um trying to figure out how we can increase transparency so that yeah the the statistically significant results can be interpreted in light of the potential rest of the iceberg of um non-significant results so yeah an easy way to you know one factor has been uh journals have said okay now we have the web so we have no you know word limit so you know please put any accessory materials other analyses and stuff in some document that you can post online so we no longer have that constraint but by the time we had that (laughs) we got rid of that constraint there was already so many career pressures to discover things and and uh you know, you'd get promoted or you get a grant or you just get a job based on um having discovered things, not based on having done a really nice experiment which showed that there's not something interesting there that uh people didn't want to hear, you know, about about this sort of thing.
0: How how much do you think that plays into it that 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 um uh, is 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 that an incredibly proud prevalent way of, of how grants are provided is that finding something statistical rather than, you know, finding what it's not. Because, you know, obviously in best, best practice when we think about, at least in medicine, and I'm not a doctor by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I've certainly, you know, uh, been through enough myself or, or seen family members, half the time in the practice of medicine, we are trying to exclude what it's not. Um, and hence why there's so many tests that you have to go to, you know, might start with a, you know, very basic, let's do a blood test. Then we might move across to, you know, one type of scan, a different type of scan. And, you know, it, it continues to, to, to go up a, I suppose, a you know, different thresholds. Um, uh, how, how prevalent is it in, in the grant process that that you're yeah. kind of required to to have the silver bullet um, most most I would science.
1: say close to 100% prevalent, unfortunately. Wow. So, uh, you know, until it, it has changed a little bit more recently and it depends on the science, but for the most sciences including uh, non-clinical psychology, I want to talk about health and medicine and clinical trials a little bit separately. Sure. But for the sort of social psychology or cognitive psychology, any kind of basic lab work, uh, biology, um, you, just bas- you just couldn't get things published. You couldn't even get them published, let alone get a grant. If you found a a null result, the journal, you know, you could either, if you could get it published, it would be in a very low-ranking journal, because every journal editor wanted to be the editor of a more exciting, prestigious journal. How do they do that? They only publish things which are exciting. So (laughs) you get this um, arms race of um, just wanting to publish, uh, not not publishing what we call null results, where you do a nice experiment, but there was no effect of the drug or there was no no difference between the uh, conditions. Um, Now, health and medicine, and and so to some extent, clinical psychology is a little different. They uh, woke up to a lot of these issues far before all of the other sciences. So, you know, back in the 1950s already, um, people associated with like the American Food and Drug Administration were saying, uh, we can't just count on one study before we approve something. There there has to be a, a replication. So- and then, uh grad, you know gradually, um you, you saw a ramping up of this until the point where, um, you know the uh, the regulators in in most countries are only going to approve, you know, a drug if there's, you know multiple phase trials and uh, just a whole lot of evidence. And not only that, uh, very recently, or not not very recently, uh, t- ten or twenty years ago, actually, in the case of health and medicine. Um, may, uh, there was a decision by the International Committee of Medical Journal Editors that they would not publish a clinical trial, you know, examining the effectiveness of some treatment, uh, unless it was registered beforehand. The study design was registered beforehand, and I wanted to talk about that because it's a really important step for improving transparency. Because w- when you register a study, what you're doing is you're declaring what analyses you're going to do. Ah. Uh. So it can it can eliminate cherry picking, sure,
0: because yeah. it's a lot harder. I mean, in in some sense, even if you have to replicate, yeah. uh, Daryl Bem's work has demonstrated that you probably could replicate that. Um, you know, by the cherry picking process, if 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 you're naturally going out and saying. Uh, you know, I'm not telling you how many participants I'm going to have. Yeah. Um. I just go along the way until the magic number of 36 pops up, and and that result has come up, and, and now it I can be- replicate it across the other side of the world. Versus saying the actual number will be, you know, I'm going to have, you know, 70 participants, and 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 no more, no less. That is that is it. You know, it's kind of at least standardised, which would, uh, and I hope this statistically would probably make make sense of that replicating that twice um, uh, and saying, this is what um, uh, uh, stat I'm going to use each time is going to be much harder to hack um, or at least to get a false positive twice, um, unless exactly. there's a you know, hundred replications going on across the world, which probably isn't likely to be happening.
1: Exactly. Um, and you know, it, it, it's more, it can be very innocent in the sciences. I mean, maybe in Daryl Blem's mind, Uh, maybe to get these nine experiments Uh, yeah he was doing some of these practices we practices we've already mentioned but another thing he was probably doing was you know he'd run the experiment and it wouldn't work and he would uh, you know he wouldn't get a statistically significant result and he'd probably think oh oh you know what i you know that on that time i ran it the image was only presented for you know 200 milliseconds uh you know that's probably too short you know and then he would increase it and, and run an experiment again and oh yeah this is much better you know so you can fool yourself uh, oh, as of the, as the american you know physicist uh, richard Feynman said um you know y- uh, we need to pre- we shouldn't fool people but in you know, like the easiest person to fool is ourselves sometimes mm. um because we have motivated reasoning we 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 want things you know to come out the way that we expect them to occur we want to support our own theories um we're not a very good self-critic and and, you know this is recognized as far back as uh francis bacon when he first tried to come up with the idea of a scientific you know method you know before galileo even Mm -hmm. Uh, he said what i want to do is come up with a protocol a method to lay down a more secure pathway from the senses uh to the mind where you you would have more objective ways of measuring things and interpreting those measurements, um, as opposed to being contaminated by the prejudices or pre-existing beliefs you have, and, and we're still struggling with that.
0: And the the, the kind of narrative would be that Daryl Bem, um, uh, uh, you know, accidentally fell into you know that pattern of, of cherry picking, you know, because he was you know yeah. excited about that possibility, and he you know, did lots and lots, and, and 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 that occurred, you know, the not so kind would be he knew exactly what he was doing and you know it would bring great fame and w- whatever it is that he was searching for More a combination um, of the two ir- irrespective it actually doesn't matter the scientific method the idea is whether you're actually searching for one or, or you're blinded by your obsession because and that's what we need in you know research people who are obsessed because you know they'll they'll look for you know the smallest of things but um People who get obsessed or highly interested or passionate, even about if we can use that word, um, they will go to the nth degree to to discover something, and that's the beauty of of what we're trying to, uh, I suppose, still maintain. Um, uh, uh, but that replication concern needs to be, you know, demonstrated. And, and, and what you're saying is, if you did you call it register, you register the study, um, uh, you're kind of saying, I'm laying my hand out beforehand this is my hypothesis. this is my my methodology this is the stats and now i'll go out and and um uh actually perform the study
1: exactly and and, and there was an in-depth interview with daryl bem uh, years later and uh i don't remember the details but you know the journalist was convinced that it was largely innocent and you know the, the, he didn't have to yeah and, and also um I, we, i've seen that with others uh, from the sort of this older generation when as this all kind of washed through the field replication crisis um it was it was very difficult for them or you know most people to uh, really appreciate the, the issues i mean because they had been you've been doing statistics your whole career in, in a certain way and uh not thinking there was anything wrong with it and and some of these concepts are are, are tricky or at least the way that undergraduates are taught statistics and psychology and many other fields sort of uh push them into a way of thinking that 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 made these concepts into unintuitive if if i just explain it, if we just explain it to someone from first principles about flukes and and things then um they can appreciate it but uh yeah they sort of uh, got their mind you know along the wrong track and, and it does come up you know in everyday life cuz you alluded to um, medical tests um Earlier in the conversation, and you know, it's a it's a real issue. Uh, these flukes with uh, medical screening. So, um, uh, for for example, you know, the, uh, there's all this controversy all the time these days about at what age you should start regularly screening uh, a man for uh, colon cancer by doing a colonoscopy or bowel cancer, but for doing by doing a colonoscopy, it's now 50 in Australia. A woman for breast cancer, a man for a man for prostate cancer. And the reason that you know a lot of people's intuition is we should just screen these things, you know, as early as we can. We should give them the test to see, you know, if you do have uh, bowel cancer or breast cancer. But that's because they have this naive view of medicine and medical tests that they're 100 percent accurate. They don't, you know, people don't realize that there's a chance of a false positive for every one of these tests. So, for example, my father, he. Uh, when they, when they were uh, when they they, they they measured as they do with most older men um the prostate specific antigen psa test they call it um and that's like a non-invasive way to look for signs of prostate cancer which you know can be very common uh, i mean has fairly high prevalence uh but the that measure is extremely noisy so you can have a psa high PSA level in your blood, you know, for all sorts of mysterious reasons, you know, that aren't due to the cancer. So the danger is that um, if you screen too many people in that or any one of these other tests, uh, you get all these false positives, you know, it, it really alarms the patient. And then you do that, you call them back in for another test. Now, in some cases, you're lucky, and medicine has come up with a test that's very non noisy and that will. Decide it, you know, uh, categorically, like a biopsy, like a, that's not doesn't have much chance of complication. But in other cases, you have to do something quite invasive uh, to really be sure, or you'll never be sure, or you do some other test which is also noisy, and so then you get more and more people in the medical system uh, uh, who don't actually have anything wrong with them, mm. uh, because if the rate of the cancer. And, and we can relate this back to the uh, scientific hypotheses too. If the rate of the cancer is low, or in the case of science, if the rate of a of particular scientific hypotheses in a field, if the rate of them being true, the, the hypotheses that we think up is low, but we're going out testing them all the time, we're going to, the, 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 the positive tests, more of the positive tests are going to be flukes than they're going to be anything real. So if you start screening people too early for prostate cancer or anything else, you're going to have many more people who get a positive test who actually don't have the cancer than do. And similarly in science, what happened was we had people com- coming up with all kinds of interesting hypotheses, and, and they were, you know, the, and part of the reason these hypotheses were interesting was because there was no precedent for them, or um, they, they they didn't follow directly from something that we had that we knew was true but that also meant that it was highly you know that it was less likely to actually be true but when you have these armies of psychologists going out and testing these hypotheses which uh, have a low likelihood of being true you're going to find uh, uh, evidence that seems to show that some amount of them are true so then you can end up with a scientific literature where more of the things in the literature are actually false than are true
0: well that's what I was I was also you know thinking earlier in the conversation that that sometimes you just read uh an article its just in your mind it, it just doesn't sound right it doesn't fit now you know obviously there's lots of things in life that that can you know be be true for as well and 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 they are and we have to kind of you know uh understand that and and, and live with that but some of it you're like gosh the, these connections are um uh the, the, if I use the word, you know, it might be a, a sexy connection, right? You know, an interesting connection. It, it, it might sell uh, a headline, but really, you know, are, are we, uh, it, it's just some, some, some stuff is just sounding absurd yeah. and not necessarily just for psychology. I'm, you know, the social science is filled with this, you know, with, with, with so much, um, stuff you know the the headlines are getting more and more interesting Um, it's almost become like a media right you know the media uh, yeah so a
1: couple examples of that I mean it's good that you've got this intuition that uh, you can sort of you've had sort of a suspicion radar maybe some of that's grounded in your practice because you know you have real experience uh, with patients about in in some of these areas Um, but a famous um, subfield that arose um, because uh, in my opinion largely because of these issues is what's got termed like social priming or goal priming so a canonical example of such a study was done by a professor at yale and what he did was um he brought undergraduates into the lab and he would have them uh, like solve like a sticks or crossword p- or word scramble unscrambles for which a lot of the words were associated with the concept of being old or elderly so maybe you unscramble a word that's the the, to the word decrepit or Demenser um, or something, yeah, yeah, uh, or a priest, or you know, uh, the pope, or you know, various figures that are identified with being old. So the idea is you keep unscrambling words that that prime in your mind, the concept of being old. And then what he he did, uh, talking about you're talking about kind of you know fascinating, uh, clever ideas was that he measured how long it took the student afterwards to walk out of the laboratory. <laughs> and he found that they walked slower. The ones who had to do the unscrambling of words so associated with elderly would walk more slowly out of the lab than those who unscrambled a control set of words. Um, and but there was lots of these sorts of studies being published uh, uh, There was ones based on Shakespeare, you know, uh, is it uh, Lady Macbeth who you know, after, doing something bad like you know, washes her can't can't get the spot out of her the blood spot out of her clothing or something. and um, then some psychologist thought, oh yeah, that makes sense. I think once you feel guilty about something, you have this drive to like clean things, to purify things. <laughs> and so he he did some kind of priming study along those lines and then claimed that uh, th- th- there's a few studies some claiming that people saw things as more black and white because of this purification idea there were some other measures of it um so uh people started just testing all sorts of hypotheses coming out of like metaphorical literature and so on uh and um they weren't real connected to um uh, anything before but they started they, they were all conceptually related to each other so they seemed to be uh and i think they were largely false positives because in fact you know uh, the very few or none of them ha- have replicated uh since in pre-registered studies um but uh it led to this whole collection this like subfield uh, uh, and people are writing best-selling books based on this new discovery of psychology that you know we all have these subtle unconscious influences that are happening to us all the time and are affecting you know how fast we walk uh, or, or or what we were thinking about at any one moment just based on extremely subtle cues so um it, it did blow up into these sort of large subfields that didn't have much to them.
0: And 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 did did these types of I suppose are uh, uh, articles that uh, did did do they end up getting published? And they're they're some of the ones that get through as you know having uh, the the you know um, interest value to be published in a in a decent. Oh genre. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, wow. the
1: top journals, yeah, the top journals in psychology like and these,
0: these are the journals that everyone says, oh yeah, you know they're, they're peer reviewed, so therefore oh yeah um, and yeah,
1: uh, yeah the, and it's like this particular Yale professor, his main claim to fame as I understand it was um, this kind of priming result um, and everybody was talking about it. I mean Obama Barack Obama in the <laughs> White House. Uh, based some uh, uh, sartorial um, decisions about uh, what he would do every day with his closet based on a related literature that was later shown to be also um, not replicable. Um, so this is one that I was involved in as as an editor where we, uh, w- uh, so I, in, in around 2013, um, me, uh, Dan Simons and I started this initiative called Registered Replication Report. Uh, so this uh, ten years ago was around the time when people were getting excited about, oh yeah, now we a few people were doing. You know, there's been this ESP thing, the uh, study by Daryl Bem and this paper showing the effects of P hacking, and there's been a few replications that haven't worked. What's going on here? And so there was a lot of interest in replication. So we started this journal uh, article track called Registered Replication Reports, where um, people uh, we, we we would ha- we would take proposals from uh, researchers who would who would write to the journal and say. Um, we think it would be great to replicate this study because it's been super influential. There's hundreds of papers citing it, uh, but um, you know we, we're not sure how robust it is. Maybe it's because they tried to replicate it earlier in their lab and it didn't work, um, or th- 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 there could be other reasons, like they just wanted a more precise estimate of the effect size, but that they were quite confident it would work. We w- and so we would we would examine these proposals, and we would and so one of them was for this ego depletion thing. Um, where uh, after doing um, – in, in the lab, you're given two tasks. But the concept is that uh, you've got like a finite amount of willpower or ego in your mind. Uh, I mean, ego is a misnomer here if you know much about Freud, but that's what it was called. That You've got a finite amount of uh, willpower in your mind, and it can get depleted by tasks, especially the tasks that require self-control, like that we associate with willpower or acrasia as the ancient greeks called it so once you do a task that uh requires willpower you're going to be much worse at a second task that requires willpower and um there was a large literature around this where they just have people uh, come into the lab and do some uh, rather short um tasks like a 10 minute uh i'm not sure how many minutes task where you have to like um cross out a bunch of letters uh but but not cross out uh, another letter to, so you have to sort of inhibit yourself in some way a little bit and then they have you do they, they have you do that task that they claim requires self-control or another test doesn't require as much self-control and then they have you do a second task and the prediction is that if ego depletion exists then you'll be worse on the second task more spe- especially if you had to do the supposedly willpower depleting ta- task first uh and there were, there, there were hundreds of papers in, in this literature, but um, we accepted this proposal. So And then we announced, uh, okay, we're designing this protocol. Um, and we, we reached out to the original researcher who was most famous uh, for this effect. Um, and we, uh, there, there, there were about 30 labs around the world that signed up to say, yeah, we each of us will follow this protocol that, that's laid out in advance, and we'll do this exact study in each of our labs, and then we'll combine all the data together. So we'll have a huge amount of data so we'll have a very precise estimate of what's going on. No chance of a fluke. And when 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 this proposal though first crossed my desk, there were a couple things that came to mind. First was, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I get mentally tired. Like this is common sense. There has to be something to this. Why? How could this not be true? So I thought that
0: there has to be a threshold to jump in. There has to be a threshold where it's true, right? Where cognitive load eventually degrades, right? And uh, um, but Based from on- one task, from one small task to another small task, um, to see to see an impact would would be mind boggling. Um,
1: well, you you've got a very good intuition for this, uh,
0: but, but it would happen over time because we've all actually experienced this over time, where you are, you know you over you know well even just not sleeping you know if you don't sleep for a period of time you start degrading right sure Um, sure
1: well there's that kind of fatigue but
0: sustained attention um you know it would have to be pretty significant yeah so
1: it's a little to be fair to them you know it's a little more specific than that this idea Sure, sure, Uh, sure, uh, sure, yeah so they they admitted that yeah mental fatigue everybody you can't question that mental fatigue exists um, you know, yeah. I'm knackered mates. I, 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 you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm flat out. I'm so stressed. You know, I, I have no sleep. That, that, that's going to affect performance. No one question no one's questioning that. Uh, but, but they were going beyond that. They were saying there's a self-control muscle kind of thing sure. in, in your brain. And, and if you have to use self-control all the time, yeah, you'll eventually give in. And to me, that's quite plausible. Uh, so I thought in, in some sense it, maybe it has to be true. I mean, they were trying to use a task that was specific. Uh, and compare it to another test that was not require as much self-control exercise, but your intuition is right about these uh, short tasks. So um, yeah, w- when the data came in, you know, it was, it all got analyzed, combined all the labs together a- a- and there was nothing there. Um, but that, but that's the sad thing about, uh, so, so it has two lessons about psychology. First, all the replication stuff that we've been talking about, but also just the difficulty in, Testing our theories, or in the lab, tapping into something that um, you know maybe it still is true that uh, there is a the amount of willpower that we have. A and 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 a New York Times columnist wrote a best-selling book, uh, I think called Willpower, um, based on these uh, results before they they weren't replicated. So it, it, you know it makes sense. And, and so Obama, he he was quoted as saying that in the White House, uh, something like he, he had all the suits lined up for the week. Uh, so that he didn't have to think about, you know, what choice of suit he was going to wear that day, um, because you know, then that might deplete some of his mental energy that he needed to use to decide whether to take out Bin Laden uh, on this day or whatever. So um, it, it really got, it went really across popular culture. But the and it might be true this hypothesis, but the evidence basis <laughs> for it uh, was just uh, castles made of sand, and, and the castles were built pretty high.
0: But it's also it also poses a really uh, uh, potentially frightening question of of you know in, to all research of, of, of saying how how do we go back in time and re-examine some of these fundamentals that that we uh, uh, have taken um, uh, as being, true and and again put them against you know uh, scientific rigor um because i i can imagine there's a lot of pushback from 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 those i mean there was there was a recent one and um, i don't know how true it is um but i, I heard some conversation around that with regards to um uh, zimbardo's uh famous um you know prison Stanford prison Stanford prison experiment and and you know, um, I, I'm not one, th- I haven't looked at it. I haven't, you know, uh, I haven't even looked at the, the the original study in great depth. So um, I can't really comment, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it raises these questions about looking at some of the fundamentals again um, and, and how frightening that would be because it kind of says, gosh, you know, I've been hanging my hat on yeah things in the past. And then you co- so create sad. a narrative around that, which sounds great and then I start start sounding like an expert as though I know what I'm talking about Um, and and put more, you know, because we're humans so we add patterns, you know, we find patterns put them together and that's the way I think Uh, so it's it's not hard for me to put a whole bunch of patterns and sound great you know?
1: Yeah, all these old results we can't have much confidence in because they weren't registered ahead of time we know that the usual practice was uh, P-hacking and a few other things we haven't even talked about, hypothesizing after the results are known um, the sort of data dredging, uh, and um, it, you know the, the amount of research waste it, 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 in the sense that it, it, it's a it, there's it's a waste all this research that's been done. In a sense, I mean it, it's not a it's not a complete waste, but now we know the evidential value of all of those old results is, is much lower than than we thought, and we were led down all these different dead ends and countless students. Have had their careers as scientists, you know, aborted early because they decided, oh, I'm going to build on such and such result, and they spent all this time trying to replicate it. Didn't get anywhere, so they didn't get they didn't replicate, so they didn't publish a paper because no one wanted to publish null results. So they didn't get a job. So they, you know, left academia. There are just so many consequences like that. In the case of the Z- Zimbardo. Stanford prison experiment. If you do look at the details, you'll be shocked. It's because it's not about. There's many problems with, with, with that. So so he uh, was not very forthcoming about his exact methods and what he told people in terms of that, that led them to act the way that they they did. In this, it has all come out when people went into Stanford archives. But um, that, that that that's just uh, uh, maybe more of a sad tale of of, of hype there and um, you know not doing rigorous studies.
0: So the, the registration, um, or pre-registration thing, um, you know, to replicate report is, is that, is that getting any traction is science starting to, to move in that direction? Um, you know, cause I, I can imagine, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stake here, you know, and it's a big ship to to try and turn. Is is, is that something that, that, that's being adopted? Yeah, thank goodness it,
1: it has gotten lots of traction. I mean, too slow for many of us who were, you know, very impatient partly because we had really recognized how much waste was continuing to happen every year when people were continuing to do these studies without registering them. I mean, you know, and people were thinking, well, I'm doing science right. Why should I have to change? I'm not p-hacking. I'm not, you know, for, so when you have all these individuals thinking that... You know that 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 that's fine. That most of them probably aren't p hacking. You know now that people have become more aware of that, but there's no way to know. So that means you know, and that gets unfortunately into trust in science, whether it's another researcher or even the public. If you pull a random study out, um, no, uh, knowing how prevalent p hacking was and, and still in surveys or in relatively recent surveys, anonymous surveys, researchers a high proportion of researchers will admit to doing these things. It meant that for any random paper, you know, you have no idea how much to to, to trust it, uh, what, trust what it you know purports to be uh, saying. I mean, because we don't know, yeah so um, but yeah, thank goodness, um, yeah, there's been a huge increase in traction in, in uh, the most popular uh, form it takes nowadays in psychology is uh, outside of clinical which is again, clinical trials are a different topic, but outside of, is uh, registered reports. So uh, now I think more than a hundred, uh, maybe multiple hundreds of journals have adopted an article track called registered reports. And I, uh, in fact, I just reviewed what we call a stage one registered report the other day, where what people do, the researchers do is they say um, rather that we, w- w- the journals say, we don't want you to wait until you collect data before you tell us about your study. Tell us about your study when you're designing it. Mm-hmm. And then we can, uh, decide on an analysis plan uh, so we can eliminate uh, the cherry picking aspect p hacking aspect uh, but also you know we can help you make the method better because the sad thing about Absolutely. science for so long has been uh researchers submitted an article uh, to a journal and then they get these comments back from their reviewers saying oh you should have done the study this way you should have done the study you know that way now with registered reports and, and sometimes the reviewers are right but you know it's too late. But um, so by moving the review process earlier, uh, the journals are saying, we'll, we'll work with you if, if we like your initial proposal enough, mm. uh, just modify the protocol you know in the way that's suggested by the reviewers or argue why the reviewers are wrong. Um, then we will accept the article in principle. All you have to do is go collect the data and, and you've you're guaranteed acceptance.
0: It, it, it changes the incentive structure because it goes out and says, if we design at the beginning uh, with our input and hopefully that's a fantastic thing because it go, well, hopefully I think it is a fantastic thing because it says we're going to stand on the experience of others who really understand design or, you know, I'll develop my own experience over time so I can put really strong design forward and that in and of itself becomes uh, interesting because it, it, it goes out and says i can publish uh both findings where that are you know interesting and, and and significant and those that are not because we need to actually have confidence in both um rather than just the one and and and, and obviously that's how to push you know science and confidence uh, in science forward yeah. um uh and you know who, who's not going to want to do that if you're like i'm going to be published so long as i do do exactly. it correct and and is it and it's more meaningful it's much more meaningful you're like like i'm, I'm actually adding to a body of knowledge uh, irrespective of what comes out of this there, there's such great value out of that
1: yeah yeah as you're alluding to the null results get published uh too so um, then it reduces this terrible publication bias, the problem that most sciences have, that only the significant results uh, were getting published. And also, yeah, the pooling of expertise. So um, in, the, in the medical, you know, expertise for study design and statistics, you know, is scarce in terms of a, a lot of the more complicated studies that are de- being done these days to expect the researcher who's the content subject area to also be Complete expert on the on on the right way to statistically analyze this, you know, is, is a mistake. We need to specialize because science has advanced. We know we know a lot. Not everybody can know everything. We need to have so with, with by having involving reviewers, you know, in the d- design process. You know, we, we can we can get statistical reviewers in who can um, contribute that expertise that not every you know we can't expect every researcher to have. We ha- end up with a much better study.
0: But it also means that the juniors so to speak uh can get connected with the seniors more and, and they can go out and you know quite quickly say that's just bad design or that's the wrong statistical analysis that's not going to you know, even if you find something it's not actually still holding the the, the the validity that we're looking for the power we're looking for and so you know this is how to do it this is how to change it this is how to collect data make it robust um uh, which you know, obviously then means that The second um, uh, uh, attempt, you know, whether it's the same topic or something a little bit different, you know, can improve and 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 so on. And it also changes the 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 way that we might select for researchers um, that 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 you know, researchers who are good at research rather than someone who might find something. Really interesting, yeah, and and maybe different personalities have emerged in re- re- research yeah. because of um, the way that it's been designed to date.
1: Certain unfortunate personalities have risen to the top um, due to the old uh, ways that things were, were done. Really, I mean, and uh, there has been some famous episodes uh, around as the replication crisis really got underway, where um, when people were confronted with these replication failures, some of the original researchers would say well you know you don't really understand you know to do these studies it requires a real touch you know the the the, the word flair was invoked you know some of my students it turns out that they have flair because they get all these statistic- these significant results you know, and then um, unfortunately I have some students sometimes, you know, who just can't get it. They, you know, they don't really understand how to talk to people when they come into the lab or something before they sit them down in front of the computer. I mean, I'm I'm adding a few th- uh, things there, but I don't think I'm being actually that unfair to their way of thinking. So, uh, you know, it was, it was the most honest, rigorous, kind of calm uh, scientists in some of those cases, uh, or budding scientists who got crowded out of the field because, uh, you know they weren't willing to, to to do anything and everything in order to get a, a significant result, and, and that is still playing out uh, today. Just in this last week, you know, we've had this um, scandal emerge with this professor at Harvard, um, who who is now there's a lot of evidence that they uh, manipulated, fabricated data in, in a, a bunch of papers. There's been a one over 1,000 page report uh, prepared by Harvard, and this person's now on administrative leave. Um, and so, and, and this person wrote a best-selling book, uh, uh, being a business school professor at, at Harvard based on, uh, their research that we now know a lot of it was manipulated. And, you know, to, and, you know, because the fact is to get to that, uh, point in one's career of being a professor at Harvard, you have to have lots of exciting results. So, you know, and that, that's going to be true in any field, of course, like there's a, there's going to be a motive to just cheat your way to the top. But if we don't have even any checks or we allow, we have a... Way of doing things that allows even less uh, dishonest people to fool themselves into um, getting false positives. Then we, you know, we really have a sick system.
0: Alex, is there is there any estimate at the moment from looking at uh, you know random selection of of research out there of of what's the number um, that uh, ha- has uh, problems with it, you know. Yeah, uh, that that, okay. that you know the reliability is, is is at least in you know significant question because whether it's methodology, whether it's statistics, whether it's the you know p hacking, you know data dredging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of possible reasons for a replication failure, but yeah, I'll give you some of the numbers, but they're hard to interpret. So the most famous study came out in 2015 in the journal science was this big first massive replication effort where a lot of psychologists around the world tried to replicate 100 experimental lab and observational too though uh studies that were published in top uh, like the mainstream kind of flagship uh, experimental psychology largely journals uh so they basically Reran the 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 study as best as they could. They didn't. They they had usually approximately the same sample size as the original study, Uh, and about thirty nine percent of those one hundred did they get a statistically significant result in the same direction. So less than half did they successfully replicate. And then there's been a number of um, efforts since then. Now none of these though are which have yielded similar numbers. So. If you look at the very top journals uh, as people tend to think of it in the world uh, science and nature there was a an effort to replicate 21 social science experiments in those journals and they used much much bigger sample sizes on average five times bigger and you know reason to use a much bigger sample size is to reduce the chance of getting a false negative where you can also get a fluke in the opposite direction where even if the result is true um, you can get unlucky and, and not show it with the particular people that you test. But they used, to reduce that chance, they used five times the original sample size on average. And for those papers published in Science and Nature, 62% of the, but that's only 21 studies because this is expensive to do, but they had 21 studies and about 60% of them replicated. Um, but yeah. They're,
0: 60% replicated. Is 60% that did replicate,
1: did replicate. Did replicate? Yeah, they yeah, got okay. the, Yeah. Yeah. With, uh,
0: with obviously a, m- a much more robust um, standard of saying we're going to go five times the the um, well, it was size. still the yeah,
1: I think it's still the p is less than point zero five criterion. It's just so uh, they they still had a five percent chance of, ge- of replicating it, even if it wasn't true. Cool, but sure. they had much less chance of saying of not replicating it if it was true.
0: Yeah, false negative. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to keep these things uh, straight sure. in your mind. <laughs> so you understand why the whole field. Um, uh, could get very confused about all this. Um, but yeah, as you were alluding to, there's many different reasons why this could be the case. Now, first of all, these are not random samples from the literature. Now the in the 100 case that, the, uh, that I mentioned, 100 studies case I mentioned, it, there, there was an effort to make it a random sample, but it can never be a random sample because some studies need that you that you randomly sample, turn out to need equipment that you don't have that nobody has or the, no. the methods weren't clear enough and you have to give up and you can't reach the original authors to clarify them, me- you know so you never get a f- truly random sample. So we, we, we can't say for sure. Um, and also, yeah, we do expect some false negative rate. Uh, so, uh, so even if study you know even if the hypothesis is true, we, we might not find in this particular study. So um, and also, you know there's going to be uh, methods deviations, uh, because maybe the original method section wasn't as detailed as you'd like, so you have to make some arbitrary choice about how you're going to run this new study. Uh, maybe that makes all the difference. Uh, and then again, this is and then also this is social science and psychology. Psychology and social science of people is constantly changing. Uh, for example, now the vast majority of people, you know, endorse same-sex marriage in 2013. It might have been uh, it would have been a lot less. Um, there's all kinds of cultural changes that are that are that are happening that some of which these studies uh, probe. So what? So yeah, once you add all those things up, it, it's it, but, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> and, and, right. and most of us think we could have if, by instituting all these practices, we, we could get a much higher success
0: rate. Where where does funding come from to to look at replications? Because obviously, it that, that, That's not very sexy at all. You know, it's it, it's just cost. Um, You know, at the same time, the importance is is phenomenal because research, in essence, is published after N equals one. You know, I found the result. I publish it. You know, where does the money come from for someone else to go out and say, you know, I'm going to put people through MRI machines and do this and that and whatever else, and I'm going to get the data. I mean, the the huge cost, even if it's not costly on a – um. Uh, uh, on an actual equipment Financial, it, yeah. it's just the cost of time you know where is there another professor on the other side of the world that says i'm going to put six months you know 12 months 18 months 24 months of of, of my work aside or or you know my my students uh, aside to, to to do a replication
1: traditionally the money came there, there was no money for it and that's still largely the case i mean that is the the the, the vast majority i don't know 80 90 98 percent of funding uh, it's hard to say you know is 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 given out in grants that for which the person who wrote the grant did not say they were going to replicate something or that uh or at least if they said they were going to replicate something that, that was just a stepping stone they weren't selling the uh, that was to like firm up the protocol or something not because they're questioning um whether the result will replicate so there, there, there's been, uh, so, you know, and, and we faced this issue uh, when we started these registered replication reports in around 2013, but, um, you know, what I would tell people, and, and, and again, and now this is only applicable to uh, studies that don't require much financial resources like a lot of psychology studies, but what I would tell people is, yeah, look, we're doing this replication effort. Uh, of a very very influential study that has hundreds and hundreds of citations. Now, if you get even a fraction, if with your replication study you get even a fraction of those numbers of citations to your study, uh, you're going to be doing pretty well because we're picking the most influential studies, you know, in the field. Um, and presumably, you know, it-, it that's, the you know, that's the cell. That's the cell. Yeah, yeah, that was the cell. That was, and it worked. It worked. And yeah. also, it's, it, but, but, um, it, it doesn't mean that. Uh, we have a high rate of replication studies today because the incentives you mentioned are still largely in place. So f- uh, for example, there's work coming out um, that was presented by uh, a little while ago at a conference that that, that, that that's trying to estimate uh, in the last several years, what's the rate of replication study papers that are published in psychology journals? And their answer was less than 1%. But it, it's hard to count. It's hard to count them. Um, but I don't think anyone thinks that it's more than 5 or 10%, okay? Um, and uh, I th- most, many of us think that that's uh, not enough. Now, there has been some move to give money for these things. So uh, actually, the Netherlands has been the most progressive country in the world, uh, I think, in this direction, partly because they had some very high-profile scandals early on in the replication crisis where they had some psychologists that were making up a lot of studies. Um, but they reacted... Very admirably, they immediately, you know, put together investigations and so on, put together recommendations for the future to adopt a lot of practices like study registration, and uh, they had grant, their, their national funder had, you know, calls for grants to replicate studies. But that's one country out of 200.
0: Mm-hmm. It 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 always blows my mind, and and you know I'll show my naivety here. Is that I always think about you know why doesn't a country like Australia or any other put their hand up and say we're going to be the one you know that 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 says you know when when research comes out of Australia, um, uh, it'll be understood that it's you know it's um valid you know whether it's good or bad, whether it's right, whether it's sexy or not, um. Kind of having a threshold, which says, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, back in the day, if it was, you know, German engineered, oh, it's bloody good, right? You know, they they know how to make good cars. Like, why don't we do like, you know, Aussies know how to do good research. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sadly, Australia's pretty far behind. It's not one of the most, unlike the Netherlands. It's not one of the most progressive countries in terms of taking steps toward uh, open science, methodological reform the way that f- some funders uh, have. But there are baby steps that are happening. We're trying to interest um uh, university leadership, uh, a, a group of us um in, in Australia that that are in, involved in these things. and and, yeah, I make exactly the argument that 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 you gave. I mean, you want to have the, your your university to have the reputation uh, of having the most uh, research that if it comes out of uh, university of, of sydney or, that uh, you can b- believe it but um
0: and and it's a long-term uh, investment right it, it kind of says we're probably not going to do anything you know um, uh, uh, groundbreaking for some time other than groundbreaking that we're finding uh holes in previous work um not because we want to go and crucify anyone but just saying because we're we're incredibly scientifically oriented yeah. um, and, and know, that, we're just looking for good truth you know we're looking yeah, for
1: science and that appeals to people to some extent i mean because they <laughs> most people didn't get into science because they're trying to, to...
0: It here, that's the problem
1: <laughs> no no but the but i mean sorry i mean like university and funder leadership, right they, they they think of themselves as 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 doing that, right and, and in fact, they didn't get into this field in order to make things up or just you know meet some sure. uh, targets or something for revenue or something. But there are these competing incentives, which is that they look at the university league table and how are these measured? there's no there, there's no index of reproducibility in you know in university league tables. Uh, it, it's this impact factor things. it's the prestige of the, of the journals. And, and they've all been in this uh, vicious cycle of um, and, and it continues to be that way uh, of not rewarding uh, replication
0: and that's where my naiveness you know shows you, you can't just turn the ship that 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 rapidly. Um, I'm concerned uh, uh, trying to, to to just move across a little bit to, to the medical um, side because obviously we're focused um, on, on the psychology aspect I'm, I'm concerned that some of the incentives on a medical front would be, much greater, um, yeah. Because you, you know, there's often a lot of dollars and cents attached with medical things. Um, you know, not so much with exactly. Uh, you know, a great correlation that you know is really strong in in psychology. Uh, uh, other than the, you know, wow, you've discovered something really important, and that's great. Yeah, um, it would be. A- I imagine the incentives are, yeah, quite quite uh, heavy and influential in medicine.
1: It's interesting because, yeah, as I said near the beginning of the conversation, medicine and health and medicine woke up to this very early, but at the same time, you know, and they um, started registering studies and uh, using studies with larger samples, and they have much greater statistical sophistication long before any of the other sciences. But at the same time, as you say, uh, then um, uh, there's a lot of money at stake for pharmaceutical companies. Um, and they were also gaining an expertise of how to make things come out the way they wanted it to look, despite the safeguards that the researcher establishment was putting on. So there's sort of this arms race. And, um, you know, of course, the pharmaceutical companies have ridiculous amounts of money to pay, you know, statisticians on their uh, side or, you know, game, you know, their submissions to the regulators Um Because, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars rest on whether this next drug can be approved and so it can be a blockbuster for erectile dysfunction or anything else that you can tell everybody that they need. So um, it's been sort of this arms race where, um, you know, in a way it's good in that it's (laughs) leading to more and more uh, safeguards being invented. But at the same time, um, when you've got so much money weighing the scale on one side, and not many resources on the other, uh, it's going to be yeah uh, corrupt in, in a lot of cases. And whereas some other fields like psychology, where uh, the only money is that yeah, this Harvard professor could write this best-selling book. Certain psychology theories lend themselves to best-selling books and and giving talks to uh, uh, corporations, uh, giving like uh, affirmation talks to corporations about that make them feel good about something. Um, there's financial incentives there, but it's much smaller uh, than in the pharmaceutical in- industry. So um, we can take advantage of the, the things that have been invented in health and medicine, adapted to these other fields, a- and we have less danger of getting overrun by the uh, mercenary forces.
0: Is there is there a um, current primary body or, or, or organization that you know has had the most traction that uh, you know, if, if if listeners, um, you know, would want to follow up, you know, have a good 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 look at who where, where well, is this kind of located? Is there, is there an Australian okay. one? Is it is it kind of worldwide? How, how does it all? Yeah, look? yeah,
1: okay. So, the Center for Open Science in in the U.S. is is the, has been a leader in a lot of these different things. They're the ones who started this one hundred psychology study replication thing but they've been at the forefront with researchers around the world i and many others you know work with them on various projects the center for open science uh in america and then there's also the society for the improvement of psychological science um society it's called sips they just completed their conference in italy they had 350 people approximately there, all talking about what can we do to improve psychological science they've had many Spin-offs from their conferences that improve methodology. Here in Australia, um, we have something called AMOS, I call uh, the Association for Interdisciplinary Meta-Research and Open Science. So that's AMOS, Association for Interdisciplinary Meta-Research and Open Science. We're having our, I think, fifth annual meeting in, in Brisbane uh, in November. Um, and it's great getting together uh, people from various disciplines, but all have an interest in improving methodology. So, as I was saying, we can learn from these other fields that, uh, although they have slightly different problems than uh, your own field might have if, if someone's a researcher, there are things you can adapt from from those other fields that that have improved uh, the practice of science. And uh, the rise of these organizations has been great because before that th- there, there was very little where scientists got together across fields and, and sort of uh, shared pra- practice best practices. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, and these things are rapidly growing, and, and there's no journal really yet for for what we call meta science specifically. But we're also now trying to start a, a journal, so it's, it's pretty exciting.
0: Mm. What 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 are what are some of the leading solutions that are being uh, put put forward? Because obviously these these aren't just scientific um, solutions around methodology and like, you know, the register replicate there, 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 there has to be, I suppose that the behavioral solutions that, that attends to, you know, the, the human nature. Uh, yeah, are, are there any leading sort of um, uh, ideas that, that are being floated as to what we should be thinking about?
1: Yeah. Well, the registered reports does go a long way because when you think about how pre-registration also, helps you protect yourself from yourself, uh, f- from your own confirmation bias, from fooling yourself. So, and 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 when I say that, when I say register a protocol, uh, you know, we can extend that to writing or programming your analysis code and statistics ahead of time and running da- dummy data through it uh, before you do the actual study. Because otherwise you have a danger there of fooling yourself because you... You think you've got everything written down? Oh, this is exactly how I'm going to analyze the study. I've registered my study. There's no chance of me accidentally cherry picking. But then, when you run the study uh, and you, you start to program the analysis, you're like, "Oh, you know what? I didn't think of how I'm going to make have to make this choice about the degrees of freedom, whether I should use type two or type three uh, standard error for blah blah blah. blah you know, regression, da da da. Like, there's all kinds of choices that are actually kind of hard to anticipate. Mm. Um, or, oh gosh, you know, I ran. Uh, I turned on the fMRI with this spin cycle but uh the uh echo I think it's called uh but um actually you know it uh, the, I need to tweak it because I don't get much signal noise ratio you know there's all kinds of things like that where if you don't actually do a dummy version of the study Uh you end up discovering you have to tweak things and what what are you going to do if you're You're
0: tweaking along the way you're actually going against the protocol yeah Yeah. you find yourself back in the same thing that you were trying to mitigate against so having dummy data actually gets you to see what are all the traps when i do it in real time so so that's part
1: of yeah that's one so that's one case just extending this registration as far as you can Another is uh, we need to, because of human nature that you know mentioned that we all are partisans for our own theory. none of us are are, are, are truly objective. Uh, science works due to what we, what Merton, the Godfather of the sociology of science called organized skepticism. So we need to make things transparent so that other people can check it um, because we can't trust any one individual um, or we shouldn't. So, Well, the the terms open data and open code, open materials, um, are used for uh, publishing the raw data of your study after stripping out any uh, identifiable aspects that would allow people to identify who was actually in your study. But um, publishing as much of the data that you can, publishing your analysis code, which allows people to um, check the numbers. And, uh, you know, find errors because even if you are fully objective, there is, uh, audits have found, you know, a significant error rate, you know, even just in straightforward things of trying to do analyses, people accidentally, you know, switching things in their Excel file and so on. And you would think enterprise as advanced as science would have an official auditing procedure or, you know, body or PricewaterhouseCoopers or whatever. No, there's nothing like that. So <laughs> we are relying on some kind of checking that isn't happening, but not only that, we haven't even ma- enabled it. But but not, thanks to this rise in open data and open code, which the funders have increasingly demanded, uh, we are slowly getting there.
0: I really love the idea of uh, you know organized skepticism, and 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 I think you know an entertaining an entertaining version of that. I think it was a gentleman called. Uh, I think it was James James Randy. Um yeah. was a gentleman that yeah, you're nodding your head, you know, I think at the time gave a million dollars for anyone who had, you know, some special power or gift or whatever it is to come in and 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 perform that that actual um power, you know, in, in front of a organized, skeptical, um, scientifically um minded uh, group. And interestingly, uh, you know, what I thought was very respectful is. James wasn't out there to try and and, and harm uh, someone other than you know when there were charlatans out there profiting on other people, but he he was actually there to to, to test it, um, and and people were convinced that you know they could I don't know find water with you know a piece of metal between their hands or something or other. Um, they weren't awful people. They 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 were just one hundred percent convinced, obviously on confirmation bias and and however else they fell into it, but. Organized skepticism, you know, I, I think uh, skepticism is, is, is an is such an important attribute. Um, you know, and, and just psychologically, if I if I think about it in my therapy with my with my clients, the importance of talking about a different viewpoint. You know, that's what skepticism is. It, it's providing another perspective. And you know, if, if if there's a culture that's pushing in one direction, I think we still need to question that new culture um you know and, and and have a open conversation so i love this idea of you know open data open you know a, a analysis code open statistics so the the yeah. openness so that we can have a conversation um and it doesn't need to be one against another it's, it's in the spirit of of, of 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 honesty and 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 a better understanding
1: and you make it sound so kumbaya but unfortunately people don't perceive <laughs> criticism that way usually do they so it's been very hard to support actually you know skepticism uh, to the level that many of us think is needed in these fields so you know there isn't a pathway uh, a career pathway for 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 critics okay um to for for those you know and people do vary in their skepticism and there's going to be people who just have a great idea for a theory and they want to you know run off and just pursue support for that and that's great but we need to balance that with critics, you know, who can um, look at that, you know, more objectively or with less um, stake in it. But uh, that's not what I, I think that the um, facilities or sociological uh, support for criticism has really been lacking in, in a lot of the sciences. I mean, people, you should have seen some of the reaction against um, the, the initial round of, of replications. Uh, you know, and people thought, oh these people are just trying to tear psychology down and why are they just criticizing things? Uh, these and these are just second rate researchers trying to, you know, get a little bit of uh, mm. glory by, you know, so uh, it, it's really difficult to arrange things where people, you know, sort of welcome uh, criticism. So that's mm. another advantage of this registered uh, reports thing is that it's at a cooperative stage where nothing's set in stone, and thus one's criticism can be recognized as fully constructive because it prevents you from doing um, some something wrong.
0: It's so bizarre because that that you know uh, psychologists would 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 go out and you know rest on that, and and, and in actual fact, put that up as as their trophy of saying that's what goes out and and um, uh, makes us different from other. methodologies of therapy and counseling and, and the like, um, you know, one of the things that for, for me, um, not that I know too much about Francis Mirabelli, but she used to be the, uh, uh APS, um, uh, CEO. And I, I, I do recall her talking at one of it, one of the meetings about saying we want to devise a, uh, a measure to put forward to, to government. That's going to actually look at what's the merit and the value of psychological therapy, um, and and we actually do it in a scientific way and you know we kind of say are we worth it or not because you know and that's a big risk you know there, there, there is a, a frightening aspect of that of saying how much value do we bring and if the answer is in actual fact a lot you can then empower a government to say you know go out and, and and pay for the workforce and if it's not well then we get good good feedback of saying why what 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 can we do to improve it how do we go out and and, and you know it doesn't mean that you throw the whole thing out and for me the conversation that we're having is about human improvement you know the, the improvement of science the the, the improvement of, of information it, it, only good comes out of that i know that it's scary um but if you know talking about ego previously if, if we can put our ego aside and, and and kind of just just note it's there and it does want to be special and so on and so forth i want to be you know important and have something to to, to put forward uh maybe my importance is just that i can actually perform scientific method that 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 what i you know I'm, uh, what i say is is, is valid at least um, uh, and i can see my biases i mean that's the beauty i, I love psychology because it, it it opens up all of my flaws you know that that i can see all of those i can be vulnerable and actually laugh at you as much as i laugh at myself you know like we we're, we're, we're so flawed it's it's it's, it's comical
1: that's a great attitude, nesh, but yeah, a lot of people aren't as egoless as uh they would like we would like to be, so you know you can imagine some of these. Famous researchers who got famous based on the, on the back of a particular theory, mm. and then yeah. someone comes along saying, "Oh, I couldn't replicate this uh, seminal finding that <laughs> you built this, and this is just a house of cards." I mean, can, the, the reaction can, to that. Can so, I ask you, Alex, yeah. what
0: are the what are some of the reactions? Have you have you have oh. you, have you um, uh, observed that? Have you been part of that? Have you heard from colleagues how the the, the sort of emails? Yeah. So feedback? the what the, happens? The,
1: yeah. So unfortunately, um yeah, the initial responses to um the replicators uh were included a lot of ad hominems is the uh nice uh technical term for it of um personal attacks on people so um a harvard professor uh, referred to um some replicators as shameless little bullies uh because i mean it's hard to uh, communicate to sort of the social context at the time where uh, 2013, the, 2012, there wasn't any freewheeling criticism uh, going on and, and social media was fairly new. And then suddenly people are starting to talk about things not replicating and they've, but the journals aren't ready to publish these things. Uh, and so there's nowhere to go except like Twitter, which as which everyone now knows is not a... Uh, well-designed uh, system for um, uh, sober, uh, uh, <laughs> calm uh, discussions. So um, things quickly got out of control, and um, these. Uh, but it went so far as um, replicators being called uh, and data police, what they called them—people who would find um, errors in, in, in studies and, and ask for the raw data and then expose errors in the analyses. They, they were called um, human scum by. An anonymous um, senior researcher, uh, probably at an Ivy League in- institution, um, they they were called. I've got I've got a list uh, here actually. Um, you know, the, it was mentioned that this is a witch hunt. You know, trying to do all these replications. Uh, these people think they're God's chosen soldiers in a great jihad. They're doing things out of Joe McCarthy's playbook. Um, These are self-appointed guardians of truth. Do we want scientists to be sciences to be monitored like the Stasi? Uh, These people are replication Nazis. This is just an attack, a vigilante exercise. I could go on. So the reaction, (laughs) yeah, initial reaction was uh, um, very strong. Uh, Since then, you know, uh, people have um, gone over that for the most part. Um, but there, uh, but uh, and replication is now considered by almost everybody a very important part of the field, but it wasn't at the time. And I still think that although those kind of uh, initial problems have been overcome, we still don't have uh, a culture where people routinely look at a paper and if they spot an error, they'll post it somewhere. That, that most people will never, most researchers will never do that their, their mm. whole career, e- even though they will spot plenty of errors. And, you know, I first got uh, concerned about this when I was in grad school as a PhD student in the 90s. We would do journal, what we call journal club, where every week we would take some high profile new art, recent article and we would all discuss it and we present it to each other and, and consider it. What can we learn from this? Most of the time, no matter how prestigious the journal, we would find some flaw, sometimes a major flaw. But. And that was probably happening in journal clubs all around the world, but it never became. No one ever wrote these things down. Mm. So uh, we still have a culture largely like that. There are a, f- a few websites that have become very successful, where in certain subfields uh, there are lots and lots of people going through images and, and figures and papers all the time, and exposing uh, problem errors and 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 also fraud. But most subfields uh, still don't have that
0: what what do you see occurring next do you, do, do you see a, a a a greater adoption do do do, do you think that um you know the status quo continues and you know the adoption rate kind of plateaus at you know those that are like minded um is, is is there a big enough well, shift for you know marriage it, equality to get through and you know in the country after X amount of years, what, what what happens? Yeah,
1: it's been a huge shift. So I assume it'll continue to increase. Like, uh, I mean, just over the and a lot of it has happened. A lot of the signs of it have happened on Twitter because this is unfortunately that was the large informal. The only place you could go for informal discussion, other than you know the people you directly know. So um, and 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 you saw this. I've seen this incredible rise in the proportion of people on their Twitter profile saying mentioning open science or being interested in meta science which which is you know the study of how to often imp- improve uh the way science is organized or even reproducibility and 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 now there's hundreds of people like like that across the world especially in Europe uh but also in the in the US um and to lesser extent Australia so it, there's been a very slow but really meaningful increase it's continuing to increase but there's always going to be these competing factors and we need support like science needs help like we can't it's sort of a, because of this vicious cycle incentive problem we have um it's sort of a prisoner's dilemma where someone who decides to do things that can help science in general like go around looking for errors they're not going to get a job we need um and we need like funders or the governments that, that control the purse strings to help shift the equilibrium and, and they are doing that to to a limited extent, but um, I, I think they they could do a lot more.
0: So interesting that it, you know it potentially plays out in a place like Twitter, Twitter because of the anonymity that 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 people are you know terrified to call someone else out if their name's on it because of the backlash. Or yeah, most of, mo- most of the discussions weren't anonymous, so. but okay, but, but that, well, that, yeah, but, that, that, that's the ma- great. That's positive.
1: Yeah, the vast majority of discussions were not among anonymous people. Wonderful. S- okay. Some of them were, some of them were, but the vast majority uh, weren't. Yeah. Wow,
0: well, I, I, Alex, I could I could talk forever. I love this stuff. You know, it kind of borders on the conspiracy side, but but you know, you know, because it's 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 a scary conversation yet yet it's you know as grounded in science as it can be right it's just that it's frightening to to say that there are holes in science um my apologies there's holes in the way that science is being practiced um uh, and and of course there will be because humans practice science and 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 the idea is to 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 go out and have some safeguards um and i mean to to me this just this is so exciting because it gets it says we can we have an opportunity to go back on all the data or at least all the experiments and re-examine them um, because, you know, if we've made lots of decisions um, that have been grounded in previous science uh, uh, and if that science wasn't in actual fact valid, um, then, uh, uh, you know, there, there, there's harm that, that 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 could occur or it certainly doesn't progress, you know, humanity and and whether it's looking at, you know, replicating Thorndike's work and, and or, or any of the you know initial ones some of those might have might have great replication rates you know because they were very behavioral at the time and and they were very interesting at the time and you know maybe just the way that universities were structured back in the day and journals were structure structured um i don't know what all the forcing functions were but uh there's certainly a s- serious need um for us to, to to re-examine this and and uh i've I've enjoyed this uh, immensely. How, how can people find out more about this, more about your work? Um, uh, 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 sure. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. Contribute.
1: Yeah, I mean, they can by googling my name. They can find me on Twitter, or and and then Twitter, they'll see my Mastodon address because uh, a lot of us are trying to move away from uh, what Twitter has become. But uh, those <laughs> organizations uh, I, I mentioned, yeah, Amos Association for Interdisciplinary Meta Research and Open Science. The website is a-
0: open science, yeah.
1: Uh, so the website is a- amos a i m o s dot community. I believe that's the website. So we have this conference in November. But just also, just email me. You know, find my email address at the University of Sydney site. Um, you know, if you're interested in in doing something to help with these issues, there's so many things to be done: uh, journal reform, uh, reform of funder policies, um, con- conferences, doing education around these issues, statistical education. Uh, And so on, but yeah, and there's a whole other dimension uh, to the conversation. I mean, you know, we I love science; it's such a powerful tool. So it's so sad that because of yeah, basically historical accidents of how it's sociologically organized, it really undermines the trust that anyone can have in it, including the public. You know, which has helped feed, to some extent, some of these most recent conspiracy theories, whether in things around COVID and so on. So it's so important. You know, for society generally, that we rebuild these institutions in, in, on a firmer foundation that, that that can lead to greater credibility, where people can see why they really should believe in individual scientific results.
0: And there's there's great, you know, I think the greatest harm is the erosion of the uh, trust in science. You know, and and um, you know, over time, there, there's probably great good reason to. Uh, be critical and and, and um, uh, be skeptical, because we've seen lots of times where that's played out exactly that way, and there's other times where the skepticism is unfounded uh, and it's only causing harm. And so the, the the great pain point is, you know, we're all kind of confused in these areas. You know, the moment I step into the world of of you know medicine, um, you know, I've, I've got no hope. Uh, I I'm kind of at 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 their their disposal, and and similarly, um, you know, when someone steps into the world of psychology, they're kind of at my disposal, so to speak, um, uh, because it's just too hard to go into a different, you know, environment, um, and so we just need to develop greater confidence and 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 trust in the scientific method, and and um, I think it's such an important thing, you know, from an anxiety point of view for 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 people to, to to feel. Comfortable and adjusted, and and, and um, you know, at ease. That that uh, you know, those most important things in life are kind of being. I've, I've got enough checks and balances. You know, there's there's people like you on 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 the case, um, uh, at least you know, trying to say we need some measures. You know, accountability and 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 not to crucify anyone, but 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 rather um for, for just for the greater good.
1: Yeah, and strong findings that. The public should believe can only will only emerge from a whole number of studies, and 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 medicine has led the way with some innovations in that with things like the Cochrane collaboration, where they they do have a body that's continually doing reviews that are looking at large amounts of evidence to get something that the that 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 the public or at least the doctors can understand, and thus trust is on a strong foundation. But most sciences don't have anything any institution like that hardly, Mm -hmm. so we need to build more things like that.
0: Alex, thank you so much. Uh, I, I'd, I'd uh, you know like like to um, hope that something, even if it's if if it's little, um, comes from this that, that people can can hear this, you know, be inspired to to you know consider assisting, helping, you know, becoming part of that cause, uh, or even in, on an individual level, being a bit more you know considered in in how they read their own research and 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 you know potentially question things. Um, uh, but uh, I've I've enjoyed this you know immensely um, thank you so much appreciate it great it's been great talking to you Nash if you enjoyed this podcast please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review subscribe share it via social media and tell others about it start a conversation it's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.